0: A little while ago, one of my Scottish friends changed his job, and as a result of changing his job, his employer sent him and three other colleagues down to the Midlands for a week long training course. On the Wednesday, when my friend was having lunch with these other guys, he was suddenly swooped upon by armed police. Each of them was searched, handcuffed, and taken to a different police cell in Birmingham. When I saw him, his first comment to me was, first time away from my wife in 25 years, and I find myself in prison. Now, as it turned out, it was all a dreadful mistake. Earlier on that week, a bank had been robbed in Birmingham by four Scottish men, driving a car very similar to my friends. Somebody staying at the same hotel as them had heard the accents recognized the car, put one and one together, and come up with three. My friend had become a victim of mistaken identity. In my opinion, I think that God has become a victim of mistaken identity. Whether through Sunday school, through our parents, through the media or through the issues that we wrestle with in our own lives, for many of us, within and outside of the church, God is a victim of mistaken identity. So what I thought we could do ever so briefly this morning is have a look at who is this God that we believe in. You know, some people think that God is this cosmic policeman. His sole purpose in life is to look out for people doing wrong and then swoop down upon them and punish them. For some people, he's the great killjoy. Nothing but rules and regulations to suck the joy out of life. For others, he's the fifth rescue service, just after the AA. When everything else has failed, and you've got nobody else to call on, that's the time to give God a shout. For those of you who are more philosophical, he's the God of Freud. He's nothing more than the figment of our imagination. A crutch to help us through life's tougher times. And for those of us who are going through difficult times, sometimes he's a very dark character. And just, and maybe evil in his ways. Because there's this God, supposedly, who's all-powerful and loving... And yet, good things happen to bad people, and really bad things happen to good people. You'll recall that some time ago, the government played with the idea of identity cards. And I thought this morning we could have a go at trying to figure out what would be on God's identity card if we were asked to put it together. So there's four things that I thought I would say. The first is that when it comes to understand who, understanding who God is, I would suggest that God is somebody who throws the best parties. At the end of every year, the highlight for me is meeting with my friends and having a New Year's Eve party. A couple of years ago, we decided to step it up a little and have a world-class End of your party. We hired some large hall. We invited about three hundred, four hundred people. We got a barn dance going. We cooked and prepared food on the evening. We played lots of different games. People did their party pieces. We drank. We had some more food. We 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 had a great time. Uh, we even did a bit of God as well at the end of the the evening. If you were to talk to the people who live in my area, they would tell you that that party was probably one of the best parties that they've ever been to. Friends, food, laughter, food, friends, just a wonderful mix. When Jesus walked this earth, one of the things he was keen to point out was that his father was going to be throwing a party. He called it the kingdom of God. But it's a party to which everybody is invited. Jesus supposedly has the tickets. It's going to last forever. And from what I've read, it's possible to enjoy the party every day in whatever circumstance or situation you'll find yourself in. It's caricatured by... Forgiveness and peace and hope and joy and meaning and purpose. Have you have you ever been to a party where somebody's been caught up in the party atmosphere? Norma you've got to be careful who you stare at it at this point in time, but normally they're miserable old so and so's. You know, they'd easily qualify to be one of the Muppets on the balcony. But there they are in this party and something happens to them. I, when I was a, a lad growing up in Swansea, I used to hang out with a group of guys and whenever there was something to celebrate, we'd go out for a meal and we always went to the same place, a place called CJ's down by the beach. So somebody passed their exams, we'd go and celebrate. Somebody passed their driving test, we'd go and celebrate. Somebody went to work that day, we'd go and celebrate. <laughs> and when we were at this place, I saw somebody who happened to be called Paul, it wasn't me, but somebody called Paul get caught up in the party atmosphere. He's a little bit out of favor now, but do you remember Gary Glitter? He used to have a song, didn't he? Um, Do you want to be in my gang, my gang, my gang, do you want to be in my gang? (laughs) I'm glad you're here, (laughs) because clearly not many other people are. Shall we try that again? It's not too complicated. Okay? Do you want to be in my gang? My gang, my gang. Do you want to be in my gang? Oh, yeah. So there he is. He's a sour old so-and-so. But because he got caught up in the party atmosphere, halfway through the meal, we find him standing on a chair in the restaurant, singing this song to everybody, and drawing from them a response. Before anyone could stop him, as soon as he'd sung the song, he got on the table, he took off his shoes, he took off his socks and decided that he would dance down the table to the other side and make sure he didn't put his foot in anybody's food. And all because he got caught up in the party atmosphere. Forgive the cheesy link, right? But God wants to catch us up in the party atmosphere of the kingdom. Our God is throwing a party and we're all, all of us, invited. Uh, one of my mates is a, is a bishop and um, we were having a party recently to celebrate the launch of, of, of one of my books and he came in all of his uh, regalia and uh, as he got to the, the, the church where we were throwing the party uh, he, he said to me, he said you know, this is how it's supposed to be because In the past, the church used to be the center of the community. And if you were going to throw a party, you'd have it at the church. Can you think of anywhere better to throw a party than at a church? Because our God is the God of Ibiza. Our God is the partying God. Our God has started a party that's going to last for eternity. And as his people... I wonder if the people outside identify us as partying people. I wonder if anyone on the street, if they have something to celebrate, think, mm, I must go to that Baptist church, because if there's anybody here who knows how to celebrate, it's those people there. But that's who we are. Okay, we need to work at connecting our hearts and our faces so it looks as if we're happy. I accept that. But we... You know, life sucks sometimes. Redundancy... Um, relationship difficulties, uh, illness, uh, unexpected tragedy, it can be pretty pooey. In time, even in those circumstances, there is an expectation that as members of the kingdom of God, we will learn to dance with our master party. Because if Christianity doesn't make a difference then, when on earth does it make a difference? I don't know if you're into spiritual disciplines. Interesting sort of activity for some. There's a guy called Dallas Willard who's written quite substantially on spiritual disciplines, and he talks about the disciplines of abstinence and the disciplines of engagement, things that we should go without to meet with God and things that we should do to meet with God. What is interesting about most people's writing on spiritual disciplines is that almost everybody forgets that celebration, joy, and partying is a spiritual discipline. You can't say that Jesus was a stand-up comedian. That would be pushing it a bit too far. But you've got to ask yourself the question, how did he get away telling all of those funny parables and having people laugh about the place if he hadn't been caught up in the party atmosphere? Who is our God? Our God is a partying God. As his church, just maybe, we might want to think about that. The other thing I think I'd say about God is that God is our number one fan. Um, when my kids were younger, uh, we used to go camping in our, in our caravan. And uh, one year we went to Normandy. And uh, we went to a particular chain of, of campsites. I don't speak French, so please forgive my pronunciation. But it was something like Castlesette Camping. And uh, when we were there, uh, it was, the campsite was completely uh, organized around families. And every day there were swimming races where you know, the kids were encouraged to swim and then the adults. Now, as a man and as a dad, I obviously don't volunteer for the swimming races for the first several days. Because it's my role to eye up the opposition just to see what's going on. One day, my kids had swum, and, and, and my wife had swum, and, and the comp said, said, um, OK, now's a race for the dads. So before my brain could engage, my body was leading me towards the starting line. And the guy said, two lengths. It was an incredible experience. It was an incredible experience because I came second, and I won for myself a nice bottle of French wine, It was an incredible experience because once my wife and children had got over the shock that this red lobster could actually move, they'd run to the starting line. And as I'd swum the two lengths, they'd run at the side of the swimming pool shouting and cheering, go on, go on, go on. on!" Now, I don't know about you, but that does something for me. To have people in my life who cheer me on, it touches something deep, deep, deep inside of me. We live in a culture that is incredibly pessimistic. It's easy to come up with five reasons why you can't do something. The Bible says that God is a God of grace. What that means is God is committed to moving us to a place of well-being, which is what grace means. God is committed to encouraging us to a place of well-being. I don't know if any of you uh, frequent the gym. Well, I could probably answer that question myself, but let's leave it open. Um, Those of you who remember going to the gym... um, There were probably people there who had their own personal trainer. that they employed to bring out the best in them. That's our God. Our God is committed to bringing out the best in us. Made in the image of God, but God is committed to making us as much like Jesus as it is possible to be. He's like my gran. My, my gran's a typical Welsh gran. I don't know what your gran's like, but my gran's about that high. So yours is probably about... My, my... <laughs> my gran's about that high and about that wide. My gran would do anything for me. Anything. She was always encouraging me, always cheering me, always wishing the best for me. There was nothing that she would not do to make me the best person that I could possibly become. That's our God. He's a true Manchester United supporter. Remember when the Glazers were taking over United? And there was uproar among the fans at how them taking over control of United could ruin United. Our God has that same concern for us. He's concerned that nothing should get into our lives. No influence should come into our lives that would stop us becoming all that we were created to become. God throws the best parties, but he's also, says the Bible, the God of grace, which means he is our number one fan. I wonder if as his community we should perhaps demonstrate that characteristic just a little bit more among ourselves. Wouldn't it be great to be a church that cheers each other on, to be all that we could be for Jesus? So, what, what else would I say? Well, I, I think I'd say that, that that God is somebody who, well, He wants to save us from ourselves. I heard a story a little while ago about uh, a mother whose daughter had left South Wales and gone up to London, and the girl had made some bad choices. She was in London, she'd got into some wrong company, there was drugs, uh, there was debt, it was really messy. And, and the mum, she, she heard about uh, what had happened to her daughter, and so she went up to London, and she got her daughter and brought her back to South Wales. Now, the, the daughter had got herself into financial difficulties, quite significant financial difficulties, and Part of bringing her daughter back to, as part of bringing her daughter back to South Wales, the mother also took responsibility for all of her da- daughter's financial debts. A, a couple of years after she'd brought her daughter back and had been caring for her full time, uh, one day this mother found underneath her tongue uh, a lump, and uh, medical tests confirmed that it was cancer, oral cancer, and for the next ten years, this mum as she battled cancer, cared for her daughter. I went to see this lady uh, on her deathbed. And we obviously were in, at a point where we were scribbling. she was having a scribbled conversation with me. And there's this woman, shriveled up like a dry prune, riddled with cancer, her eternity beckoning. And the only thing she's concerned about is her daughter. The only thing she wants to make sure of is that her daughter is going to be okay. That's our God. The Bible says that our God is a God of mercy. Mercy means God is somebody who is continually at work within our lives wanting to save us from ourselves. Let's step up culturally. He's the original Jean Valjean, who commits himself to Cosette to bring out the best that he can in her. That's our God's. There are things in our lives that are inappropriate. He wants to save us from them, attitudes. He wants to save us from them, relationships that we're involved in. He wants to save us from them. Remember Johnny Mathis, singer. Uh, he had a, 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 a one song. One song, Wonder, really. Um, And the world is waiting, waiting for one child, black, white, yellow, no one knows, but a child that'll grow up and turn tears to laughter, hate to love, war to peace, and misery and suffering will be words to be forgotten. That's God's son. and Because God wants to save us from ourselves, he sent his son. I think he's the original Bob Geldof. Make Poverty History was God's idea. Save us. I don't know what it's like, lads, gentlemen, uh, when you're going on holiday, but in our household, when we're going on holiday, uh, that normally means my wife will take me on a shopping trip because she'll feel that my wardrobe needs attention before I can be seen in public with her. And and normally, we go shopping for weeks in preparation for our... It's actually an afternoon, but it feels like weeks. And we were going shopping one day, and Sarah decided that I needed new footwear. I had a really nice pair of trainers that I'd paid an awful lot of money for. They were a little bit shabby, but, you know, they were comfortable. I looked good in them. I didn't see a problem. But Sarah felt that if we were going on holiday, where we were going, it was really important that I'd buy myself a nice pair of sandals. So we searched. And searched, and searched, and, and about after 20 minutes or so, we, we found <laughs> the sandals that Sarah felt I could wear. So I put them on, and there was a bit of a squeak in the right one, but it was nothing significant. It was obviously because they were new, so we bought them, and put them in a box, went on holiday. Three days into our holiday, it was obvious that the squeak in the sandal wasn't because they were new. It was a defect. Paul, can you get get croissants? My son says, Paul, Dad, he used to call me Paul, now he calls me Dad. It, 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 did you children do that? Because everyone else calls you Simon, they think they can call him. Dad, Paul, come and play tennis. It sounded as if I had flatulence constantly. Wherever I go, initially, really funny. After a little while, embarrassing. By the end, they were in the box. I can guarantee this morning that we have things in our lives that were initially funny, but after a while they became embarrassing, and right now we try and cover up. God wants to save us from ourselves. I'm not perfect. Uh-huh. You're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. Uh-huh. But in the midst of our imperfection, God in his mercy wants to make us different, better people. He's a God of mercy. He throws the best parties. He's our number one fan. He wants to save us from ourselves. I suppose the last thing to say, and the most obvious thing to say is this. God loves us. What's your most embarrassing moment with somebody who you have really fancied? If you don't understand what that word is, your parents will explain it to you. (laughs) What's your most embarrassing moment with somebody that you've really, really fancied? When I was about 18, 19 years of age, I got to spend the evening with an absolutely stunning girl called... I have to change her name wherever I go, so because you record your talks, don't you? (laughs) So we can remove the comments about my wife later. Um, uh, Let's call her Linda. She was... She was, was... Now, for those of you who are trying to join up the dots, beautiful, stunning woman, you. I'm Welsh, right? I drip charm. And over the course of time, I'd wooed this girl to me. So there we were on a Friday night, both of us in her house. And um, she said, why don't we go and, you know, just play on the computer for a little while. So we both went and and sat on one chair at the computer, just, you know, getting to know each other, getting a little bit close. And as we were sitting there, uh, Linda said, uh, why don't you take your shoes off make yourself more comfortable. Bit of a strange request, but okay. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't as hygienically conscious then as I am now. So when I took off my shoes, what confronted us was the most (laughs) pugnant, romance-killing smell you could possibly imagine within five minutes not only were my shoes back on but I was also in my car (laughs) going home you know I think that's how some of us feel when we stand before God we feel, well, we don't smell really good because we're aware of who we are and we're aware of what goes on in our lives and we know he knows us inside out and that causes us to feel ashamed, to cover up, to run away. What we have to appreciate this morning is that when it comes to the love of God, Rumor has it, it's so high, you can't get over it. It's so low, you can't get under it. And it's so wide, you can't get around it. You can try, but you will fail. God loves you. That's the story of the prodigal, is it not? God loves his children. He loves them enough to let them go. Oh, the grass is greener on the other side. He loves them enough to wait for them to come to their senses, and when they do return home, he breaks social protocol and runs to his returning repentant children and then throws parties. Our God loves us. It's great, isn't it, that Anton Decker are back on Saturday nights. Tally's been so bad these last couple of months. I don't know if you watch their takeaway programme, but there's a catchphrase, isn't there? Don't just watch the adverts win them. I think that's where I'd like to finish this morning. Don't just watch the adverts, but make sure you take them home with you today. Our God throws the best parties. Is there nobody here? That wants to enjoy the party of God. God is our number one fan. Is there nobody here that doesn't need somebody cheering them on? Our God saves us from ourselves. Is there nobody here who needs saving? Our God loves us. Is there nobody here who needs to experience again the love of God? Don't just watch the adverts. God comes to us by the Spirit that we might know and experience Him for ourselves. I've got one more story and I'm done, right? When I was a boy uh, growing up, um, I I, I was brought up in the council estate and... um, very young, I learnt the art of being able to stare through the curtains with nobody seeing you, but you could see what was going on outside. And uh, one day, when I was having a nose through the curtains, uh, I noticed that there was a commotion in the house across the road. A group of people had gathered. It turned out that some child had got his hand stuck in the letterbox. And all the men of the area, had come together to see if they could get his hand out. They couldn't. They'd got to the point where they were going to call the fire brigade to come and cut his hand out. My dad, very clever man, came home from work just as everyone was about to call the the fire brigade, and within, it must have been 20 seconds, my dad got that boy's hand out of the letterbox. And do you know how he did it? He got him to let go of what he was holding on to. And as soon as he got him to let go of what he was holding on to, the boy's hand was free. So what are you holding on to this morning? What is it that you are holding on to? Or what is it that holds on to you that stops you from being free to enjoy all that God is? God throws the best parties. Don't we want to be free for that? God is the God of grace. Don't we want to be free for that? For some of us, it's relationships, isn't it? We're involved in relationships that we shouldn't be involved in. For some of us, it's habits. We do things that we know we shouldn't do. For some of us who are men, Jesus has become a bit of a side salad to our spiritual life. And church, I don't know about you, but lots of the churches I go to... We don't do bloke Jesus. We do either girly Jesus or men who can connect with their femininity Jesus. But we don't do bloke Jesus. So lots of men give up on Jesus. We come to church because our wives want us to. But we want to embrace with Jesus, but we... What is it you've got to let go of? Why didn't you let go of it this morning? And if you don't think you can on your own then we'd love to talk to you today and pray with you and establish some support around you to help you become all that God would have you become. Thank you very much, everybody.